0: Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Deirdre Healy and I'll be in the hot seat today. We're going to focus on all things rehabilitation today and how COVID-19 has impacted on the provision of rehabilitation. Rehabilitation gives our clients independence. It gives them a target to work towards, and it can give them hope for a brighter day ahead. The COVID-19 pandemic and the social distancing measures that followed have drastically changed rehabilitation. As a result, I'm delighted to have two special guests today to talk about the way they've had to change their work to make sure those who need rehabilitation continue to receive it. Firstly, I'd like to introduce Jennifer Appleby. Jennifer is a client liaison manager at Irwin Mitchell, who is based in Bristol. Jennifer is joined by Jackie Dean, who is the clinical director at Enable Services. Jackie has 40 years experience as an occupational therapist and is a specialist brain injury case manager. Thank you for joining us virtually today. Jennifer, can I come to you first? Could you start by telling us about your role and what exactly it is that you do? So
1: I'm one of a team of registered health and social care professionals working for Irwin Mitchell as a client liaison manager. I'm an occupational therapist by background with a specialist interest in palliative care and rehabilitation. My job is very much about supporting our clients as they go through the myriad of issues that they face when they're recovering from a serious injury. The help that we provide is in accessing services, getting them the right support when they need it, and to be there as an emotional and practical support for them. It's pretty much an all-round problem solver type role and an advocate for clients. And the skills that we have around navigating the systems and helping them to find the best solutions is where our key skills lay, really. Uh, We guide them towards maximising their rehabilitation potential. And that's pretty much what we do in a nutshell, but it's much more complicated than that.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. Uh, And Jackie,
2: same question
0: to you. What's your day-to-day like?
2: Okay, hi. I'm also an occupational therapist by background, but as Deirdre pointed out, I've been working as a case manager at Enable Services now since 2002 and before that as a as a case manager. And um, we're based up on the Wirral in Merseyside, and I head up a team of health and social care professionals who um, have adopted the role as a case manager, which is, I sometimes describe it as a clinical project manager. In that it's about coordinating the right services around the individual to empower them towards achieving their maximum potential. We have a team that specialise in children and young people as well, which is a very different and specialist role. But the one thing in common is that all our clients have catastrophic injuries and we develop a long term and important relationship in their rehabilitation journey.
0: Thanks, Jackie. That's great. Um, And I'm Deirdre Healy. I'm a partner in the serious injury team at Erwin Mitchell. Uh, My practice is largely uh, undertaking brain injury litigation for victims of brain injury who've been involved in an accident. And I use the services of people like Jackie uh, and Jennifer to support my clients because the focus is rehabilitation. It's not on money, but the rehabilitation needs to be funded. So if we move on to now discussing uh, rehabilitation and uh, COVID. So if I can come to you first, uh, Jackie, what do you see currently as the long term effects of how you've had to provide rehabilitation and your team's providing it through this um, period and using virtual platforms?
2: I think at the start of lockdown, everybody was in very much a fight and flight and problem solving phase and certainly at the beginning of lockdown. I and, and professionals I've spoken to all felt they were running on adrenaline and that we'd work very hard to to make sure that we could maintain contact with as many clients as we possibly could, even in those very early days. And I think because we work in 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 the private sector, we've perhaps had an easier time of doing that because we've had the opportunity to be creative and learn all around these virtual platforms and how they work and don't work. Marvelous when they do, terrible when they don't. And I think if we could all go back in time, we'd actually really like all of our clients to have access to wonderful Wi Fi wherever they are in the country and have access to devices and the, everything set up with programs that we could run virtually. But of course, we weren't in that place and we've had a very steep and, and difficult learning curve. And I think that there are good and bad. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more during, the, during this conversation. There have been good and bad about the virtual therapy that we've been able to to put into to to families and what's really important is that while we're all trying to get to get back to normal that we don't lose the good um, and don't overrate the good as opposed to to the difficulties that we've had. Uh, Jenny has it affected your
0: role very much at all? Yeah there was quite a big change happened overnight for us
1: Um, the 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 major change being the the losing that face-to-face with the clients that we try to support. We're having to work a little bit harder now to build that rapport with our clients to be able to kind of really drill down to the root of what their issues are to be able to provide the right support for them. Um, we are finding, though, it's, we certainly are much more accessible than we used to be. We've got far less hours out on the road now. If you imagine our catchment areas are quite large. And so we did used to spend quite a, a chunk of our time on the road to get to clients, but we don't have that now. So we are much more moving from one client to the next quite quickly uh, compared to how we used to be. And I think that's something certainly that's going to continue. We all see that there are benefits and there are negatives to that as well. So, yeah, we, we noticed that try and get the support for our clients and understanding what it is that they need We we have to we've had to come up with some really creative solutions for the way that we drill down and find out who they are as people because that's ultimately what we're dealing with is who are these people that we're we're trying to support what is it that's important to them what is it that motivates them and that's much harder to do by telephone or by video chat but we're we're coming up with creative ways of doing that all the time
0: that that's quite an interesting point I I, I'm wondering uh, myself is there a certain kind of age Uh, group that respond better than others. So all youngsters are tuned into this virtual world, aren't they? Whether they've had an injury or not, they're far more tuned in than somebody of my age, for example. Um, Jackie, have you seen a difference between age-related provision
2: Yes, we have. I mean, it's it's a more natural part of younger people's lives as you as you rightly say. So, it's been a bit more automatic for for them. They it it's been part of their everyday life to use technology. But I think that the lack of face-to-face remote working and particularly for people who have um social or language difficulties the the presentation of using virtual technology can be very difficult. Um, one speech and language therapist that I was talking to was talking very much about um recovery. So when you're in a, a conversation and you talk over each other, some of our clients find it a lot harder to recover the conversation that they were having when, when it breaks down. Face to face, that can be easier. And you, you stop more quickly because there's always that little bit of delay, isn't there, on, on, on virtual platforms. Um, so it's not as simple as and black and white. But generally, yes, younger people have adapted more quickly to it as an idea and particularly some of the creative ideas that have been involved using the technology. I don't know if Jenny's found the same thing.
1: One of the interesting things that I've found is that actually the older generation... Uh, out of necessity, actually embracing this technology. And I think that that's a fantastic outcome for such an awful time to be going through to actually see that people who normally would shy away from technology are embracing it and using it to adopt some form of social interaction whether it be technology or even just the telephone you know we we do have quite a few clients who can be quite hard of hearing um and they're starting to use a little bit of technology to help them use the telephone so it's it's just all about adaptation and the way that the the mind is great at being able to find a solution to the problems that people face
2: yeah i think we've used support workers an awful lot um, and they've been absolutely brilliant, and, and hats off to the efforts that they've made throughout lockdown. I mean, some people have been very creative and have used video, so they'll have have had conversations. The therapist will record things and send it to families so they can look at it when it fits. Because you know, families are suddenly thrown into this role of being carer, rehabilitation professional, teacher everything during lockdown and 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 in these times of changing restrictions and they don't always have the time to look at it at the right time. So it it it, it's it's been wonderful watching therapists and, and support workers evolve and develop ways to do it in the right way for people. So most people have been able to 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 access it in some form or another or To send them um, through the post you know that more low-key technology as well we've been able to use some people haven't been able to access it because of their level of disability and we've had to work very much through the family and and in supporting them in what we've been trying to achieve but again as as Jenny's saying it's about being creative and adaptable. Jenny on that um, what's the biggest
0: innovation you've seen with virtual rehab since March? I think
1: just the use of um, video chat has um, been major, really. You know, occupational therapists we traditionally like to get out and see people in their environments to, to enable us to do a full and thorough holistic assessment. But with the use of the video technology that we've now got that you know thankfully it happened in this day and age and not sort of 20 30 years ago when we didn't have this level of technology yeah it's just been amazing to to see how people are using that to you know i hear stories about people getting children to take them on a on a walk around the house that they can assess how the child is interacting with that environment and yeah, it's just it's just testament really to the creativity of the therapists that are out there um, and the way that they're just using all sorts of technology to help them.
0: think that's really interesting when you say a child taking somebody through a house because you're in a house with somebody you often if you're face to face you might get too involved and rather than let them do it themselves I know you two with an occupational background you're very much you make do you make us all do things don't you but we often step in too soon whereas if you're remote you can't step in in the same way perhaps.
2: I think that's a good point I know one of the physiotherapists that I was talking to she was saying how frustrating it was initially because automatically her therapy is through her hands and suddenly she was having to sit on her hands and 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 work through the screen and she was saying how much her skill base has developed in terms of suddenly she's realized that she wasn't allowing people perhaps to do as much as they should be she wasn't explaining things in a way that people could understand and she wasn't pausing long enough to see if they'd taken on board the things that she was saying to them. And this feedback that you can get through a virtual platform can be a very positive tool in that way. I think it's also
0: quite exhausting though, isn't it? Because I know at the end of whole days of Microsoft Teams meetings, I'm more tired than if I've, you know, taken the training to work and walked up to the office. Um, Is that having an impact on your clients in a similar way? Yes, it's having an impact on the clients. But I think importantly, I think we
1: need to recognise that it's having a major impact on the therapists. I know that um, myself in practice, I I can move very quickly from one client to the next. And I cover quite a large uh, population of, of different conditions and I could be having you know, detailed conversation with somebody, perhaps with mesothelioma, who's approaching the end of life and then moving on to a mum who's in distress with a child with cerebral palsy. And it's been very, it's been crucial for me to recognise the impact that that has on me as a therapist. And I think that's true right across the board. Every therapist needs to stop and take stock of the fact that this moving very quickly through your clients has an impact on you as a person. We used to depend quite a lot on that reflection time that we would get between homes when we were going out to visit people. And we haven't got that now. So we've also had to be creative in thinking about how we look after ourselves as well, which in turn helps us to help our clients to recognise how they can look after themselves during this pandemic as well.
0: So, Jenny, uh, people with rehabilitation needs, how are they coping uh, with this global pandemic? I think we have to recognise that we are in the midst of uh, a state
1: of global anxiety and that level of anxiety feeds into every part of our lives. Um, And we're finding with clients who certainly are trying to recover from serious injuries that that magnifies everything that they're going through. They are panicking, they were all about how they were going to manage their basic everyday life activities. and, and now we throw into the mix this pandemic where nobody really knows what's going on um, or what the rules are and, and how we can live within those rules. Um, and I think that that just makes our clients a little bit more anxious. Um, there's obviously anxiety around whether or not they're going to have access to services. They are you know some some of the services had to certainly early on had to, to kind of just stop all service whilst they evaluated the situation and I think that's left everyone with this sense of services aren't there um, they kind of are now they're building up but they, there's that common thinking in society that services aren't there for them at the moment um, and I think people are just kind of stepping back and, and thinking more about what they need to do um, and 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 how they're going to achieve it.
0: Do you think rehabilitation has changed forever going forward and what the future might look like post COVID? Will we all go back to how it was before, or do you think there's a there's going to be a seismic change?
1: I think that there are certain therapies where hands-on is essential. There are certain times when you need to see a client in their environment to really fully appreciate what what they need. But I think there's certainly going to be a shift now to considering what we're doing with our resources. We've learned that there are alternative ways of doing things now. So hopefully that's going to continue and we will all be managing our resources a little bit better than we were previously. Um, But still, there's going to be that need for that face-to-face contact with clients as well.
2: Do you you agree, Jackie, with that? I I do. I mean, I I think um, the use of digital technology was part of the NHS five-year plan. And this has pushed that forwards. We've all had to embrace that. I was a little bit of a dinosaur and really struggled to see how we could hold MDTs, how we could um, interact with clients virtually. This has thrust us all into having to face that as a reality. And I've been absolutely amazed at some of the things that we've been able to achieve. MDTs are a good example. I still think you need to get together periodically to, to bounce ideas, which is harder to do. Um, online, but the cost savings and the frequency of meetings and the spontaneity of meetings that you can hold virtually, the geography of of trying to achieve that and get people in one place is all removed in a moment. So there are big bonuses. I think if we view it purely as cost saving, however, then that leaves capacity to dilute rehabilitation considerably there are very many things we can't do virtually we can't feel tone in a muscle you can't empathetically deliver bad news you can't um see how that person is interacting in a in a in an environment and with their environment in the same way um, we've talked about communication issues. There are so many facets that, as a therapist, you need to be face to face. You need to put your hands on. But it, it is it's going to change seismically in that there are so many positive things we can use to reinforce the programs that we're doing, to to monitor, to maintain clients using virtual methods. Um, so yes, it is going to change. It's never going back to how it was. But my plea is that we. We weigh up the evidence rather than just looking at the costs.
0: Jackie, for people who don't know what a multidisciplinary team is, can you explain what they do and and who forms
2: part of that team? Okay, well, any comprehensive rehabilitation team will have a number of health or social care professionals. So we're thinking about physiotherapists, dieticians, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, psychologists, and a whole multitude of other people that may form part of a comprehensive package of rehabilitation. They will need to get together, preferably with the client, to discuss what those goals should be um, and who is going to do what. To make sure that that person achieves all the input that that they need, ideally they should be working as we sometimes refer to it as interdisciplinary teams, which is actually that the team are all working towards common goals and they're working together um, rather than the physio doing a bit with the legs and the OT doing a bit of baking over here, that they're all working towards specific goals. And those can be abbreviated to MDT or IDT. I think the multidisciplinary
0: team meetings have worked really well for the lawyers and the therapists. Um, But I do think they've worked less well for my clients I think
1: the important element in a multidisciplinary team meeting, certainly from my perspective as, as support for that client, is that maybe if there was a way of actually being with the client whilst they sat in on that team meeting, because you read a lot more from them when you're sat with them than you can pick up on video chat. Um, and to to be able to give sit there and give them a glance that's reassuring or you know just to check in with them and and make sure that they're okay I think that is the element that probably needs to be addressed where we come out of this pandemic is that ability to be able to be there and support the clients through the process.
2: I would agree with that and I think just to clarify when I'm talking about multidisciplinary team meetings there I I suppose I was thinking about the problem solving that goes on between professionals you know just to endorse what Jenny said earlier about the ability to have that think time in between clients. there's there's a whole load of processing that goes on in that 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 think time. There's dealing with the emotion that dealing with some of the issues we do with clients, the therapist has to deal with that. Then there is the formulation of ideas. And I think, as a team, to get together around problem solving um, and, and formulating ideas around people's uh, programme of rehabilitation. Virtual methods, fantastic. But you're right, where there is a client involved and we are bringing them on board and they're sharing their perspective, it's, it's not so good. Totally agree. I think also I've had uh, a
0: couple of clients who lots of work has been done by the multidisciplinary team members to get them to a certain point. Lots of real hard yards have been put in and COVID's presented the best excuse for them not to engage. And they've definitely gone backwards rather than stayed the same or made any steps forward. How do you think going forward we can address that and get them back to where they were and even further forward?
2: We've seen a mixture. We've seen clients that we thought would not progress During COVID with virtual rehabilitation methods who have absorbed it brilliantly, the predictability of the world around them, the lack of opportunity and demands upon them has meant that they've responded very well to the therapy and have done much better than we'd anticipated. And I'll come back to why that's an issue in a moment. But we have seen clients regress We have seen clients not accessing therapy. We've seen where there have been holes in the regime. And I'll give you an example of one client that I was actually doing a medico-legal report on, but it emerged talking to the case manager involved that the the person is actually in a rehabilitation centre with a bespoke team of staff going into her, seeing the value of maintaining her splinting. And by the time that this was picked up, because it was then observed that her hands were tight on the screen and and, and it was explored more, um, of course her hands are a lot tighter and it actually does need somebody to go in face-to-face to work on that. So we've seen clients regress, we've seen clients withdraw who find the whole process challenging. And I guess that comes down to relationships and the ability to to work at the client's level with listen to their narrative and the meaningful goals that they have in order to re-engage them and get them them back online. That's not so different to the world before COVID. It's but it it is lost opportunity. And that's the problem. And the problem with a lot of people who are now coming out of hospital very quickly and aren't accessing therapy in a timely manner. And as COVID goes on and on, there are lost opportunities. And those are the ones that that I worry about. And, and also uh, the provision and the re- the rundown resources
0: from the NHS and the local authorities to provide what was being provided before is is even shorter, isn't it? It's even more curtailed, and that uh, there's a very hot topic, isn't there, about the long term effects of COVID and and slow COVID and impacts on cognition. Um, you know, we're sitting in a kind of private provision which lends itself to being able to fund what what is needed Um, but there's a whole host of people out there that are simply not getting any input at all.
1: I I think that there's a few reasons as well Um, there seems to be a, a huge shift I think in society's perception as well that, you know, they've they've always understood that there are services out there to support them. I think during this current pandemic, what we've seen is that people aren't kind of jumping up and down and demanding the rehab that they would have done previously. So certainly those with lower level needs are kind of just using that basic human instinct of being occupational and being problem solvers to come up with their own solutions for their own rehab. And I know that certainly Early on in the pandemic, there was a real difficulty in getting any kind of therapy. But I think now we're starting to see that services have become more adaptable. They've become much more flexible. They don't have as many people waiting, I think, um, because people are being more creative themselves. Um, So I noticed that when I'm referring clients on for rehab, I am actually finding they're being picked up a lot quicker than I'd imagined. It's just a question of you need to... Ask yourself: Do you need, really need some rehab? Do you need some help with that? And then ask for it. And I am finding that people are getting the help in a fairly good time. All things considered, I think at the moment. Um, obviously, there are still challenges and the issues around if they need that hands-on type therapy. You know, as you've talked about there, Jackie, with the the, the hands-on physio. Certainly, then, yeah, that is problematic, and it's it's down to a discussion then. Kind of challenging their clinical reasoning for not providing that hands-on therapy, but it's it's certainly if if you need it, you can ask for it and still get it.
0: I think it's it's accepted commonly, isn't it, that people are are staying away from doctors, they're staying away from hospitals, um, but who knows when. That comes out in the future what the impact will be and um, so is that that's really interesting Jenny that you're saying it is available um, because lots of people out there probably not even asking the question because they're not equipped to ask the question that's the problem isn't it absolutely um, I- I'm interested in terms of if we talked a lot about physiotherapists and needing hands on, but you as occupational therapists, that's massively keen. If you're teaching somebody to bake or if you're teaching somebody to cook and um, being there alongside them. I mean, in terms of independent living trials, how, how's that going? How's the impact on those right at the start of their journey? I know, Jackie, you've got a real insight into the baking situation because you've got family members on Bake
2: Off, haven't you? Indeed I have. Um, Yes, Irish Mark is my son-in-law. So I I have a a real interesting bake-off at the moment, which has supplied me well throughout throughout lockdown and beyond. But yes, um, independent living trials has been a challenge. Um, And again, I will say hats off to the support workers who've worked so well with therapists to try and, and, and enable and equip people to adapt to what is a very unreal situation at the moment. I'll give an example of a young man that I've been working with whose case, who is, it's a, a medico-legal case. Um, so he has the benefit of private therapy and was in an independent living trial. And his girlfriend moved in as part of the bubble recently. And he has done extraordinarily well on paper. When you look at the amount of support he's actually had has reduced, although it's more long distance. His girlfriend has been there and they've cooked, they've cleaned, they've done all the things that they need to do to maintain a home. And in his legal case, the argument was made, well, he doesn't need all this support, does he? And I think it's really important to recognise that we're living in a very different bubble and all of our quality of life is impacted, Bake Off notwithstanding, that to lead a full life and when there are more demands upon this young man in the community and to generate ideas, to explore the, what the world has to offer him, he, uh, he does need that support. It's a very artificial bubble that we're looking at. So at the best, we're obtaining a baseline of what people can do in a restricted bubble. That's not necessarily the same as real life. And and I think that's important to recognise. It's also
0: the fact that his girlfriend is isolating with him. So there's no demands on her life. And in the real world, she's not there 24 hours a day. Uh, And so whilst he might be achieving certain things with her, we've got to look at him achieving them when she may not be there in the future and not relying on her to do the things he should be able to do in an independent manner.
2: Absolutely. And the very presence of her is a prompt to him throughout the day. So in in essence, although he isn't having any support work time, he's got support all the time. And the demands on her in that situation are quite large. But I I hear it. I keep hearing this. They're doing very well without this level of support. So they won't need it going forwards. And it's just not true. So going forward, social distancing
0: measures and social isolation, I think that's going to impact each of us, including me, I, you know, the longer I'm at home, the less excited I am about going out. But for our clients, it's much worse, isn't it? How do you see the future uh, and the impact of mental health problems on on the client base? I see the, the mental health issue is a current
1: crisis. It's an ongoing crisis and it's certainly going to be a long term crisis after this pandemic. Um, Services are incredibly stretched. Everyone is living within this global anxiety, certainly within serious injuries where the majority of our clients will have some form of mental health issue. Um, We're certainly seeing that those conditions are becoming exacerbated because of the global pandemic and the anxiety that everyone exists in. Um, I know that there's a lot of movement at the moment to try and increase the staff or the resources within mental health services, which is great. Everyone is recognising that there is this global anxiety that needs to be addressed. And I'm hoping that that's going to continue. That level of additional support is going to continue beyond the pandemic, because I think that the effects of this situation are likely to be far reaching. We're going to be seeing people with more social anxiety, um, more people wanting to remain at home rather than going out so that fear of going out fear of mixing with people um, and yeah I mean I I talked to one of my or a few of my clients who've, who've had long-term anxiety and, and it was interesting at the beginning that they were saying actually they felt quite normal now because now everyone was living with this fear of something terrible about to happen this fear for their lives and the lives of their loved ones This fear of having to go out and mix with people, everybody had that fear. And I think that just highlights that whilst it was okay for the the person who was already anxious because they felt normal, it was all normalised, you can kind of see that that level of anxiety is going to continue much, much longer than the pandemic.
2: I would agree with everything Jenny just said. I think that... um for our clients that's that's even more the case i i have another hat as chair of a local headway group and um talking to the regional uh, groups that lack of social contact is is impacting on them very greatly and there was a study um during lockdown that headway released that i was looking at before we came on on the call and it was um supported by andy tireman who's Great neuropsychology down in Aylesbury. And that showed that 65% of people with brain injury were saying they felt more isolated and more fearful for their future, um, which is an enormous statistic. And I think that that's just the tip of the iceberg when we look at um, the population as a whole. So I think mental health. Is a little bit of a tsunami that we don't quite know how big it's going to be yet, but it could be a real problem over the coming years. And those clients will need
0: even more rehabilitation rather than less going forward. Uh, And to be able to predict what they need into the future is going to be challenging, isn't it? Because it's an unknown quantity at the moment.
2: Well we're all living in a social experiment almost aren't we really is how it feels and with the constant changing of of how we're having to live with this disease doesn't look like it's going away in the near future and the, the long-term effects of that are something we, we don't know yet we can only surmise. Well I think we come to the end of what's been a very insightful and
0: honest discussion. Uh, can I uh, thank you both and ask what you
2: hopes and plans and goals and resolutions are for 2021? I'd I'd like to say an end to this pandemic. I think, in reality, what I can wish for is some level of stability so that we can plan forwards and plan for our clients' rehabilitation and more cake. What about (laughs) you, Jenny? Have you set any resolutions
1: yet? Well, I haven't set any personal resolutions. I think, you know, life is too unpredictable to be trying to set resolutions and disappointing yourself. So I'm not setting any resolutions. But I'm, I'm hoping that uh, 2021 is going to see a safe and effective vaccine so that we can move forward and live with this virus um, rather than what we're currently doing. Um, and my real hope <clears throat> for the year ahead is that people can maximise on the lessons of 2020 and appreciate what we have, um, the services that are around us, our loved ones, the environment, just everything that we have that we've taken for granted for too long, I think. Um, That would be my real hope for
0: the year ahead. That's a great statement, which I agree with conclusively. Uh, So that's it for today. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Jackie and Jennifer. Thanks very much for your input, your experience and thanks for listening to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please do join us for our next episode. In the meantime, please stay safe.